Thanks for listening in today to our Monday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today we will be continuing our study in the book of 2 Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. Welcome uh, to Calvary Castle Rock. We are in 2 Samuel chapter 4. I have big hopes tonight that we're going to get through chapter 4 and 5. I know. I know. I'm laying down the gauntlet. We'll see. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, we'd love to have you follow along with us in 2 Samuel chapter 4. So let's uh, shoot over there. 2 Samuel chapter 4. We see God establishing David's kingdom right now. Um, there is two kingdoms at this point where David is uh, now king there in Hebron, uh, over the tribe of Judah there in the south. But then you have Ishbosheth, who is the, um, the king there of the north of the other ten tribes. And then we were able to um, see how Abner was going to deliver all the, uh, uh, all the other tribes into the hand of David. And before he had a chance to do that, we saw Joab, the commander of David's army, kill him, murder him. And so David wanted to show he had nothing to do with it. And so uh, they mourned the death of Abner. Um, He brought a curse upon Joab for doing that. But he did not bring Joab to the place where he should have been killed because he murdered Abner. And one of the reasons probably is, is because Joab is a nephew of David. It's his kin. And so instead he puts him in the hands of the Lord, but he let everybody know I had nothing to do with that. So Abner, who was the commander of Ishbosheth's army, the one that actually placed Ishbosheth um, on the throne there for uh, northern Israel, um, Ishbosheth knows now that with his power gone, with his commander uh, now dead, that it's only a matter of time before his kingdom ends itself. And so we're going to start here in chapter 4, verse 1 of 2 Samuel. That's just a quick little recap of where we've been. And it says, When Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost all heart and all Israel was troubled. They're troubled because they know that the source of Ishbosheth's strength was Abner. He was definitely a mighty man of war. And so with him gone now, the rest of the uh, tribes really don't have a whole lot of confidence in Ishbosheth. And so um, Ishbosheth, if you ask me, was weak because he trusted a man. His trust was completely through Abner, whereas David's faith has always been in God. So in verse 2, it says, Now Saul's son had two men who were captains of troops. The name of one was Banah, the name of the other one was Rechab, the sons of Rimmon, the Barathite, the children of Benjamin, for Baroth also was part of Benjamin, because the Barathites fled to Gidom and have been sojourners there until this day. So there's, there's two men. They were captains of Abner's army, and they thought that they could profit from the murder of Ishbosheth. They think that David is going to be well pleased after they kill Ishbosheth. They think they're going to profit from it. They'll get a reward from David. But as we're going to find out here in a, in a moment, they, they will not. Verse 4 Then Jonathan. Saul's son had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So 
here we have a quick little narrative. And, and what's happening here is that um, this narrative is summing up the rest of Saul's descendants as wrapping up the loose ends, if you may, about Saul's uh, kingdom. Saul is now dead. His other sons have died in battle as well. Uh, and so the, the other son, Ishbosheth, his, his kingdom is coming to an end. Uh, and then there was one other child that now we're finding out about. His name is Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was five years old when he gets word or his nursemaid gets word that, that his father and his uncles have been killed in battle. And so usually what happens is that the Philistines will find out where the rest of your family is to try and kill them off, to kill off that dynasty. So there'll be no heirs that will raise up and want to take vengeance on, uh, on the Philistines. So the nursemaid runs with Mephibosheth, somehow falls, um, and, and he becomes lame in his leg. So whether it was broken, not set right, or something was out of joint, we don't know. Um, but he has been lame ever since. So at the time that this narrative is telling us this, seven years have passed. And so now at this point in the narrative, Mephibosheth would be 12 years of age. Because when, the, uh, when Saul died, that was seven and a half years ago. We know that um, as we've we're going to read here in a moment, and we've read in the past, is that at the time that Saul died, they made David king over Judah, and he reigns there for seven and a half years before he becomes king over all of Israel, which is about to happen here. So this is seven and a half years later, so Mephibosheth would be 12 at this point. Verse 5, Then the sons of Rimmon, the Barathite, Rechab and Benah, set out, came at about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth who was lying on his bed at noon. And they came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Benah, his brother, escaped. But when they came into the house, he was lying on his bed in his bedroom, and when they struck him and killed him, they beheaded him and took his head and were all night escaping through the plain. So the captains... Um, would normally go into the king's house in order to get grain for their men. So for them to show up there is, is not out of the ordinary. For them to have free reign to walk around the place is not out of the ordinary. Uh, and so they show up there, um, and while they're there, they murder Ishbosheth. He's obviously taken a nap of some sort in the midday to cool himself off in his room, and uh, it's there while he's asleep that they just butcher him. They stab him, and then they behead him. So... Having done this murder, if you compare it to the murder of Abner, Abner was a man of war. Um, Joab was taking vengeance on the fact that he killed in war his brother Asahel. Uh, and so Joab has been thinking vengeance ever since. Uh, pulls him to the side, stabs him, but at least he was seeing him face to face. In Joab's mind, there's at least a reason and a cause to murder this man. But here, when it comes to Ishbosheth, you have somebody who has not broken any law. You have somebody who has never killed or murdered anyone. You have someone that is completely asleep and defenseless, no chance to defend himself at all. And then to desecrate his body by beheading him and then taking it to David for a reward. One was, uh, one was bad. This one is horrific. Okay, this one's horrific. And so in verse 8, it says, and they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron and said to the king, here's the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy who sought your life. And the Lord has avenged my Lord, the king, this day of Saul and his descendants. 
Now, a couple things here. For one, the gall to actually say that the Lord has avenged my Lord the King this day. Like the Lord had anything to do with their evil plans, with them doing what they did. Like it was God's idea, not a chance. Not a chance. This idea was by man led by Satan to try and taint the kingship of David. Another thing here, David never saw Saul as an enemy. Saul saw David as an enemy. David never ever once saw Saul as an enemy. He always referred to him as the Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed. And so in verse 9, it says, But David answered, Rechab and Benah, his brother, the sons of Rimmon, the Barathite, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity. When someone told me, saying, Look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him, had him executed. In Ziklag, the one who thought I would give him reward for his news, how much more when wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house? On his bed, therefore shall I now require this blood at your hand and remove you from the earth. You know, I had a guy that came and he thought he'd be rewarded after doing the mercy killing with Saul. God's anointed. How is it that you think if I executed him, how much more am I going to execute wicked, worthless men that kill a righteous man? I didn't reward them. I'm not going to reward you. I'm not going to reward you. And I'm going to require the blood at your hand and remove you from the earth, it says. Now, David at this point has never, ever murdered anyone. You might be going, Dave, what do you mean by that? Because later on he does. Right, later on he does. Up until this point, he has not. He has not murdered anyone. He has not... um, Uh, killed anybody that um, uh, wasn't self-defense or it wasn't in war or something like that. And he almost did, though. You might recall when he went down to Nabal uh, as he's been protecting his flocks there and as he's been taking care of his men, and then he goes to him and he says, hey, could you give us a little something to feed my army? And Nabal says, no, you know, you're just a runaway slave. You're just a, a runaway uh, attendant of Saul. Should I bless you? And David was furious, and he was going to go down there, and he was going to, man, he was going to clean house, and he was going to kill every one of the men's servants there of Nabal. And Abigail, his wife, hears about this, and he goes and meets with David out there in the field before he gets there and, and, and has all this food and, 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 and asks for forgiveness and bows down before him and, and, and asks for his forgiveness and then may I speak and he lets her speak. And this is one of the things that Abigail says, using great wisdom, stopping David before he commits bloodshed. He says, she says this, Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed, And from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. She goes on to say, And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you ruler over Israel, which means the people knew that David has been anointed to be their future king. Abigail tells him this and says that that God will do all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause 
or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Abigail is uh, emphasizing David's glorious calling and destiny and saying that the general integrity of his life is important, is important. And simply ask him to consider if this present course of action is consistent with the Lord's calling to David to be king of Israel. She's basically saying, my, my future king, is this course of action kingly? Is this course of action in line with the calling that God has put on your life? And I can't help but say it's a great question that we can always ask. It's a great question that we need to ask ourselves in our lives. Is this present course of action of whatever I'm involved with, is this present course of action consistent with the Lord's calling in my life? It's a great question. It's a great question. Is your present course of action consistent with you being a light to this world? Is it consistent being salt and light in what God has called you to be? Is your present course of action in your life consistent to what God has called you to be in the person of Jesus Christ? Is what you portray to others consistent with what God has called you to do? It's a great question to ask. I wish I could say yes to every second and moment and every day of my life, but here's the pastor, I can tell you this, it's not, and it's a great thing to ask. Dave, what you're doing right now, is, is that consistent with the calling that God has put in your life? Great question. Something to always ask myself, no matter what's going on in my life. It is a great question. And I wish I could stand before you and say, yes, since the moment I received Jesus, every action I've ever portrayed has been consistent with the calling of Christ Jesus. If I said that, lightning would strike, you'd be looking for another pastor. Okay? But it's something to, as a reminder. I, I need to ask myself that. Dave, is this consistent with you being Christ-like? Is this consistent with what it is that God has called you to do? And it's like, ah, man, convicting, very convicting. And yet Abigail was able to stop David and say, just think for a moment. She was so wise in how she did it. And afterwards, David just go, oh, he says, oh my goodness, you are, you are the wisest of all women. You are amazing that you have stopped this course of action. Because I most certainly, before the sun went down, he would have had no descendants, <laughs> you know? There's wisdom there. There's wisdom there. And so David, once again, needs to show that his kingdom, which God has given him, is not going to be founded on cruelty, on bloodshed, on deceit, of trying to make something happen. Uh, he, he has to make sure it doesn't do that. And so he's not going to reward anyone for the cruelty and bloodshed. Oh, the Lord has done this today in your sight. The Lord didn't do it. Evil men did it. And I'm not going to reward you for that. I'm not going to re reward you for that. And so he's going to show again to everyone that he had nothing to do with this horrific crime against God and humanity. And so in verse 12, it says, so David commanded his young men, they executed them, cut off their hands and feet, hanged them by the pool in Hebron, but they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. So, um, hands and feet being cut off. 
Why, why that? Because it symbolizes the instruments that was used in this horrific crime. Your feet is what carried you to the crime scene. Your hands is what stabbed him and then took a sword and cut off his head. And so they, they cut off his, their hands and feet in order to show um, that these are, this is what symbolizes the, um, the, the, the terrible crime that's been committed. And then they hang the corpse. And we know that God's word says that, that that's a curse. In Deuteronomy 21, 21, it says, Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones, so you shall put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall fear, hear in fear. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, for he who is hanged is accursed of God. And so David wanted to show that these men were accursed of God, that what they did was truly ungodly, it was premeditated murder, and that they needed to die and they needed to be hung for it, and that God's curse is upon them. Now I want to take note of something here, something very interesting to me of, of an omission of what David said to the Amalekite, or what he says to these men, what he didn't say to the Amalekite that did the mercy killing with Saul. When the Amalekite did the mercy killing with Saul, whether he did it or he was lying when he said he did it, either way, David has to take him at face value and he's believing him that he uh, did a mercy killing for Saul, that Saul was so greatly wounded in battle, he couldn't survive and he was crying out for um, him to uh, kill him. And so the Amalekite said he did. So he comes to David, tells him that, here's his crown, here's his his bracelet, you are now the king of, of Israel, and again expecting a reward from David. And David looks at him, and he asks him this question. He looks at him, and he says, How was it that you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? So the person you killed was the Lord's anointed. Yet David doesn't speak these same words to these two men. How is it that you felt like you could put your hand against the Lord's anointed. And I would say the reason why he doesn't do that is because Ishbosheth was not anointed by God. But David was. So Ishbosheth is running a man made kingdom, while David is waiting patiently with a God given kingdom that was ordained for him, that was he was anointed for. But he still says, You've killed a righteous man. Now, there's something, I think, very fascinating to this. It is because what we're going to see happen later on after Solomon is that we're going to see the kingdom split in two again. You're going to have the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, much like you had for seven and a half years here with David and Hebron and, and Ishbosheth over on the other side of the Jordan. It's going to split in two again. And when it splits in two, what you're going to find out is that the kings of Judah are mostly the kings of Judah, are anointed by God. The high priest comes in, anoints them. The people come together and they, and they convene and they say, yes, this is, this is from the Lord. And so there's anointing that goes on and the majority of the kings in Judah follow the Lord. Not all of them, the majority do. But in the northern kingdom after the split, there is a no anointing of any of those kings except for one, his name's Jehu. But all the other kings, no anointing there at all by God. As a matter of fact, they don't even worship God. They go after other pagan idols. And it's almost like 
You can see it coming from the very beginning here. You have an anointed one. His name is Saul. Samuel comes and anoints the next king. It's going to be David. And he's going to have the anointing over the whole kingdom. But then when man tries to run away and do his own thing, there's not going to be an anointing there. And there is no anointing when it comes to the other 10 tribes in the north because they're doing their own thing. When we get to the place, how Rehoboam did a very dumb thing, granted, but he is still the anointed of God. And Jeroboam and the, and the other 10 tribes should have you know, come alongside because that is God's anointing. But they choose not to. And a prophet even goes to Jeroboam and says, take 10 pieces of this cloth, this mantle that was just torn up because it does represent 10 uh, tribes uh, of Israel that you are going to take and be king over. But he doesn't say you're going to be a righteous king. And so when there's no anointing, that is, that is man's deal. But when there's anointing, that's God's deal. And so we see that here. We see this here. So here at the end of chapter 4 and beginning chapter 5, we are so moving right along. Check this out. Verse 1, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are bone and your flesh. Um, that speaks of brotherhood. It speaks of being in the same family. Uh, it's the same thing that Abner spoke to the other uh, tribesmen before he was murdered, saying, hey, look, you've always wanted to go with David. He is bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. He's still part of the brotherhood. Now's the time to go, but then Abner was murdered at that point. Bone and flesh speaks of covenant relationship. And so the people prepared to enter into this covenant relationship with their new king. So in verse two, it says, also in times past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out, brought them in, and the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. So this is the third anointing. We saw uh, Samuel anoint David when he was just a mere lad. We saw um, last week how... Um, that once Saul was killed, uh, the, the tribe of Judah brought him to Hebron and anointed him king over Judah at that point. Now he's being anointed king over all of Israel. So it then says, uh, um, I want you to go to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. I want you to see this whole kind of like party that's come together to anoint him over Israel. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, kind of speaking on the, on the same instance of what we're going, the same event that we're going over here, starting in verse 23. Now, these were the numbers of the divisions that were equipped for war and came to David at Hebron to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. And so it's going to name all the uh, 12 tribes here um, and all the, uh, the people that were prepared for war that came from each tribe. And so if you go all the way down to verse 38, it says, all these men of war who could keep ranks came to Hebron with a loyal heart to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest of Israel were one mind to make David king. And they were there with David three days, eating, drinking, for the brethren had prepared for them. Moreover, those who were near to them from as far away as Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali were bringing food on donkeys and camels, on mules, oxen, provision of flour, cakes of figs, cakes of raisins, wine and oil and oxen and sheep abundantly for there was joy in Israel.
That's all we have time for today on this Monday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Listen in tomorrow as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings, On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. 